Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wonderful Redeemer. We praise you. We glorify you. Your name alone is worthy of all praise. All glory. All majesty is thine. We exalt you, O Lord. Lord, that we might have voice to praise you this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Wonderful Redeemer. We thank you that you are our God. And we are your people, O Lord. Redeemed from every kindred, tongue, and nation. You've made us different in personality. You've made us different, Lord, in callings, in gifts. You've made us different from different backgrounds, different families, different countries, different cultures. But one thing unites us. That is the blood of the Lamb by which we have been redeemed. Blessed be Your name, O God. We love You, Lord, and as we have this time this morning, we just pray that You'll have Your way. Lord, we have one service today, and we want You to take complete control. We want You to have liberty, Lord. We humble ourselves. We quiet ourselves, as it were, before You. Not to be quiet, but to quiet the human spirit that the Holy Spirit might have His way. Lord, we just surrender to You and ask Your blessing upon the service, every part of it, from the testimonies to the ministry of the Word. May it touch our lives the way that it was meant to. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have your seats for a moment. And I want to... uh, Maybe bring you a bit of an update before we go to the Word this morning. You want to sing, How Great Is Our God? Let me share with you, How Great Is Our God. Uh, And so if you'll put that up on the screen for me, thank you. And just want to update you on Project Uganda. And uh, many things are happening just this week over in Uganda. And uh, I want to say... God bless you for your giving, all those of you that gave, both here and uh, and away. We're moving well towards our target. Our target is actually to raise about $200,000. We don't have it nailed down just yet exactly to the penny how much we will need. Uh, we have roughly a need of about $55,000 for books and printing and, and and audio and that sort of thing to get the message into the people's hands. That is the number one priority and that the people would have the message. And so uh, we have so far uh, passed the $50,000 mark. That's Canadian and U.S. combined. Uh, uh, So we're about quarter way to our goal. So God bless each and every one of you for your giving. We're so so grateful, and and I thank you on behalf of the believers in Uganda. Um, So this week... Just this week. It's not something, we're not giving to something that's already happening. We're, we're contributing to something that is in the midst of unfolding. I just want to introduce you to two brothers here, uh, Brother Keda and Brother Rogers. These are two pastors. And the reason I'm introducing you to them because their story is indicative of, of pastors that have come into the message. 
they have um, the one of them, and I don't know which one is which, but uh, the one of them uh, was uh, kicked out of his church, and so they began to worship the denomination had kicked him out, uh, and the people, because they had received the message and been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Obviously, they must have been from a Trinitarian denomination, and they didn't like that too much. I'm thankful for the revelation that, that those three are one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're three offices of one and the same God. You know, what a blessed revelation. We, that's a simple revelation to us, but what a blessing to have that revelation. And so these brothers received that for the first time this year. And, uh, oh, thank you, that's all the singing will do. I, I always forget to release the musicians. And uh, they, uh, uh, the one was kicked out of his church and then began to worship in the school. Uh, they rented a place in the school. And then the denomination put pressure on the school to not allow them to worship there. Talk about the devil. And, and so they even got kicked out of the school. And so, uh, so they had to find another place of worship, and so we had to send over some emergency funds to help them out. And the other brother, uh, his church was actually destroyed. Uh, and it was uh, something that the, the people came and beat it down, and the, and, uh, the denomination, uh, and he even had a, lived in the, you would say, the parsonage, but now he had no place to live with his family. And so they had to quickly find a place with the believers, and we sent over a little bit of funds to help them. These are day-to-day needs. This is not just simple things, embracing the message of the hour, say, oh, well, somebody doesn't like me because I, I received the message. No, it's much more than that. It's their daily living, their, their weekly worship. Aren't you glad for this place of worship we have? We thank God that we still enjoy freedom of religion. The... Uh, these are all new pastors, new ministers in the message, and they have now a weekly Bible study. This is Brother Fred Chienji. Uh Every Friday, the, as many ministers are, that are able to come, they get together to receive instruction on the Word of God. And so God bless them for that, and that, Brother Fred tells me, it's growing there. And so on, on Thursday, uh, Brother Fred, uh, we sent him some funds to, to go to, into a remote region, about six hours drive, to the east, to a place, to a region called Mayugi. And some of these names might sound familiar to you, so the names are not important. And they got there about 1.30. And, uh, and so as they, uh, as they were uh, gathering there, they were not aware that there would be a hard resistance uh, over waiting for them. And there was many ministers that had heard that they were coming and so they they tried to disrupt the meeting and they tried to confuse the meeting and so some of the ministers which had embraced the message or wanted to hear the message says well let's go aside to another place and have a meeting so they went aside to another place and there was i think eight pastors and quite a number of believers that embraced the message of the hour and 257 of them lined up for baptism that was just on Thursday. Praise the Lord. And so we're, we're grateful to God for His mercies. You can't stop God. It's just foolishness. 
how the devil tries different little tactics and things. You know, it, it became such an impact, but God had a purpose in moving it into this other town because in this other town, uh, everybody was impacted. The Muslims were impacted by the word of God as God wanted to take a message and create an atmosphere in another place. And even those that were of the Muslim religion began to hear of the things that God had done in this day. And this brother here that was baptized, they call him the chairman or the chief counsel. We would call him the mayor of the town. So in that town, God's influencing everybody. So even when people think they're disrupting the meeting, they're actually moving it into God's hands. And, and they're allowed, it's just like the devil, when God says to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? Because God wanted to get a revelation to Job. But that he was going to use the devil to afflict Job to bring him to a place till God could pour in revelation. And so all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Amen. So it, it became a great thing there that attracted the Muslims and even the, the local mayor, local council chairman, they call him, uh, who was believed and was baptized. And so they had a total of 257 baptisms, including eight ministers. Praise be to God. So that's a wonderful update. Just, that's just this week's update. Stay tuned. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? Do you wish you were there? Amen. Amen. Let me tell you, sisters, you'd love to cook over an open fire in the backyard. Wash dishes in a pan that you had to bring water from the well, because a lot of houses don't have running water. And they, they had to drive quite a ways and transport these people for baptism because they don't even have enough water supply to have a baptismal tank that's sufficient to baptize all these people. So they've got to take them to the river so they can baptize them several at a time. And, oh my, it's just the logistics are just mind-boggling to North Americans. But I'll tell you what, God's moving. Amen. And if God's in it, what else matters? Amen. We, we want to just, just let the Lord have his way. The brothers over there have been very diligent. I'll make one more announcement. It's not quite um, uh, ready yet, but, uh, but we will soon have. We were hoping to have it for today, but because of the events coming up, I won't be speaking again. I'll actually be slipping out of town. And, uh, uh, so, but I want to just say that the language of Western Uganda, which was previously not on the message hub, is not only on the message hub, but it's also going to be on message hub mobile immediately. So uh, for those of you that are watching from Africa, uh, from Uganda, they do stream our services over there. You watch on the message hub mobile app, Runya Katara will be available uh, just any day now. They're just waiting for a few words that they have to finish translating for the user interface. That's technical lingo from Brother Darren Hoffman. But uh, uh, they have to translate a few words for him, and then it's going to be up and running. And their language was 68 translations. Praise the Lord. That means everybody over there that has a smartphone or a cell phone that's on Android uh, is able to download all the translations on their phone Connected to the Bible, linked to the Bible in their language, which we've already loaded, being able to follow the links from the Bible to the message and hear what Brother Branham said about the Bible. That's going to be a tremendous blessing to the new ministers in the message. 
And they're working also on the Luganda language, which is a major language over there. Amen. So praise the Lord. There's, there's your update. What's happening? Keep praying for the work in Uganda. I know many around the world now are aware of it. And they're, they're, uh, they're interested. They're burdened. They're giving. They're praying. And uh, so you pray also. I believe God's going to meet every one of their needs. That was less of an amen than we've had yet this morning. I believe that God is going to meet all of their needs. Because He promised to meet our needs. I don't believe He's going to meet all of their wants. But I do believe He's going to meet all of their needs. Amen. Well, are you ready for the Word? Amen. Let's stand together and take our Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 6. Now, we have just one service today here at the church, so we're not limited by time. We're only limited by how much you can absorb. And so as much as you can absorb, that's what the Lord will give you. I have enough here for six hours, and I don't don't mean to doubt you. But I don't think you can handle six hours. Now, of course, if I was in Uganda, that might be another story. If I was in Malawi, that might be another story. Brother John is going to Malawi soon. Be prepared. They will let you preach a long time. And uh, so, but I don't think God is limited to time either too long or too short. I believe God has a purpose in His thoughts for you individually. I think Brother John recently took that scripture out of Jeremiah. He knows His thoughts concerning you. He's a personal God. And He has something for you this morning. How many believe that God has something for you this morning? You just hold that before the Lord. Let's just bow our heads one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, My Father, our Father, Lord, these people have gathered here this morning because they are confident that they can meet you here. That's why we've come together. In that confidence that is not resting upon a man because I don't think they even knew who was preaching this morning. So they didn't come to have confidence in a man. They don't seek out the prayers of a man or... Or, or this or that from a man. But Lord, you are very present here now. And there's a dynamic in this service because you are the word that discerns the thoughts and intents of every heart. Now, in the stillness of this moment, Father, not by feeling, not by human inspiration, but Lord, By the promises of your word and the power of your resurrection that's amongst the people. We're asking that you'll just take complete control of the speaker. Because there's only one speaker and that's you, Lord. Lord, this is just a vessel. Take the lips, take the voice, take the thoughts. Let it not be the mind of a man, but let it be the thoughts of God. Because if it's your thoughts, Lord, then it will be your word. And your word is spirit and life. And Lord, if there be someone here that's a sinner, and your word come to them, I believe that they'll be convicted. 
And they will give their lives to you. If there's someone here that's sick, Lord, and your word comes to them, I believe, Father, that they can receive faith to embrace the healing virtue that was loosed at Calvary. If there are other needs, and no doubt there are other needs that are in the midst of your people, we're asking that your anointing would come in a great way this morning to meet the needs that are amongst your children, whether it be here, whether it be out on the internet, as we labor this morning for one purpose, and that is to get ourselves out of the way. Lord, we want you to take complete control. And we ask, Lord, your blessing as we read the word, and uh, every word that we speak, let it be divinely inspired. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, for your glory alone. Amen. Amen. John chapter 6 and verse 63. Let's start at 61. It says, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Now, that's, a, that's a, a way to say it in the Old English. In other words, it's the spirit that provides what you have need of. It doesn't come from the flesh. All right? And so it's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Then we could say, the words that I speak unto you did not come from the flesh. And the brain is part of the flesh. It did not come from the mind of a man. It came from God. All right. Now let's take our Bibles and while you're standing, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would. Second Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Amen. The Lord has blessing to the word. You may be seated. Brother Branham says it this way. He says, now, by inspiration, that word was spoke by God. By inspirations, the prophets brought it. And by inspiration, we have to receive it. All right. So... The Word of God, as Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Now, when it says spoken by inspiration, it means it is divinely inbreathed. That is actually the meaning of uh, inspiration of God. It is the breath of the divine one that gives the scripture. And so all scripture is given by the inspiration of God or by divine inspiration, all scripture. And it's all profitable. Can you say amen to that? It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. Now, all Scripture, it's, it's important that we catch it because it's not uh, some Scriptures are too deep for you and some Scriptures are elementary for you. No, it says all Scripture. 
Amen. Paul, Peter said about Paul, which is scripture. He says some of the things that Paul writes are hard to be understood. But those things were also given by divine inspiration. Can you say amen to that? So it's not whether they're easy to be understood or hard to be understood. There's profit in there for them. And they're sent to make us perfect in the mind of God. Now, I want to just deal with uh, uh, inspiration and, and anointing as I'm speaking today on a continuation of the thought that I spoke on last time, and that is the anointed word. And, and uh, anointing is a subject that is very difficult to understand. Uh, well, I won't say difficult. It, I'll just say it's sometimes misunderstood. Uh, uh, a lot of times we use the term in, in a very broad swath to describe maybe feeling, to describe the presence of God, to describe different aspects of the supernatural as an anointing, or we feel anointed, or, or we feel inspired, or different thoughts that we have. And as we go through it this morning, I don't want you to be caught up into an intellectual understanding because it's not important that you intellectually are able to put the pieces together, but maybe there'll be something that is said this morning that will strike you and release something in your life. That's the important part because the words we want to speak are not words of, of just human understanding, but we want to speak words that come from God because He wants you to understand Him. He wants to open your understanding. Paul in Ephesians 4, he talks about the ministry and what it does in the church and how that it brings understanding. And he, he talks to the church, he says, don't be like the world. And I'm just paraphrasing, he says, but you have not so been taught by us, if so be that you have learned of Christ. And so there's a teaching, there's a learning, there's an instruction, there's things that happen. It's, it's not just... Uh, that the man of God is excited or excitable or not excited or not excitable. It's nothing to do with him, actually. But the words of God, they are spirit and life. Now, a person could be the most anointed preacher. But yet, if, they are, if the people are not anointed to receive it, then really it's of no benefit to you. You could get the most anointed preacher. Brother Branham even said it that way. In 1960, he says, no matter how much I'd pray and lay day and night studying and praying before the Lord and walk down here and maybe the anointing on me, walk up here and feel that resentment, it just grieves him right away. He says, now he won't reveal nothing. Now, what does it grieve away? It doesn't grieve away the new birth. Him that dwelt in Brother Branham as the Son of God or dwells in you as the Son of God, that's not the anointing. But rather, the prophet of God says, I will get in the channel and get under the anointing and walk into the pulpit. But if the people are not in the right channel, it will grieve him right away. All right, And, and many times Brother Branham talked about that as being like a dove that takes its flight. And he, he talks about, about it in the believer's life in different places and he says, he says, um, I'm talking to Branham Tabernacle. I'm not talking to people from other churches. And he says, and he says, that's what's the matter around here. He says, that's what makes the dove takes its flight. Just let somebody start a little something around the church. And first thing you know, oh, is that so? He's talking about gossip now. 
He says, you don't mean so. He says, right then the Holy Ghost goes, flies away. He's not talking about losing the new birth. He's talking about the anointing that leaves the church. He says, it just can't stand that kind of a spirit. He says, as long as the lamb leaves, the lamb nature leaves you, then the Holy Spirit is gone. He says, we must be gentle. We must be peaceful. We must be a lamb so the dove can abide with us. Is that good? All right. So just a little bit of maybe instruction to start us off. He says in another place, he says, he says, we talk about rights and he says, but that's the only right you have is a surrendered self-will to God. And then God does the leading from then on. He says, the only way to be led of the Spirit of God is to keep gentle, not to know a whole lot. All right, so, so there's an anointing Brother Branham is talking about. And so we receive, you know, you don't understand the kingdom of God without the new birth. Another way we could say is you don't have your right mind without the new birth. You, the new birth is what starts it. It's not that you believe that there's a God, or, and we'll maybe go into that a little bit later, but it's, it's that you actually receive the life of God in you that changes your nature on the inside of the inside. You're born again by the incorruptible Word of God into the very nature of God. But having said that, you also have a flesh nature. There's two control towers, Brother Branham says. So you've got the inside of the inside, but you've also got a flesh, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, when I would do good, evil is present with me. And, and uh, if you allow the flesh to, to have the preeminence, that's what grieves the Holy Spirit away, because your flesh is yet unredeemed. So Paul says, I die daily. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So what he's saying is, is I have to die out to myself. My own self-will has to die. I have to surrender myself every day. Not what I will, but you will. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. Why? Because the flesh, there's no desire in the flesh to die. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so there's a, there's a flesh will and there's a Holy Spirit will on the inside of the inside. And so we, we realize then that that because of this, we have sometimes misunderstandings in our lives. Is, well, I hope this is okay to go, go about it this way. I was kind of pondering how I'm going to do this this morning because there's so many different angles to take and there's so many different directions in this subject. It's way too broad to take in one service. But my desire is that so what is said this morning would allow God to move in your life in a greater way than he ever has before. That's the bottom line. Say, well, I'm born again, Brother Tim. That's good. But that's not the end of it. That's the beginning of it. I I received the Lord. That's good. That's wonderful. I was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. That's exactly what the Scripture says. Full obedience to the Word of God entitles you to the token. And, And the promises that are laying there in the Word. But you must confront the enemy every day. And the enemy's tactic is to anoint your flesh to keep you away from how God wants to anoint you. 
And how God wants to fulfill His purpose in your life. And if we can understand that, then we can understand where we're standing in Laodicea, and we can understand exactly how God wants to use us and to bring us to the place, Because, and I guess I'm giving you the synopsis of the whole sermon, to bring us to the place exactly where He wants us to stand, because we've come to the end of redemption purpose, where sons and daughters of God are to stand in the image of the Word as the bride of Jesus Christ, declare. Him and Him alone in our lives. Not just ministry. Come on. Not just ministry. Not just ministers. Say, well, it's all the ministers. As long as we got good ministers, no, God is bringing you, the church, into, posi- into position. Be ye therefore perfect. I think that was your subject, Brother Tom. Be ye therefore perfect, even as the Father in heaven is perfect. What is He doing? That's His redemptive purpose. He's doing it. But we have to learn how to yield ourselves to let Him do it in our lives. Brother Branham says, and I'll just a little bit more background, he says, I don't have very much of an education, but all that I know is what I receive through inspiration. And if that inspiration doesn't compare with the Bible, then it's wrong. It's got to be the Bible. No matter what inspiration it is, it's got to come, and then he, I believe he picks up the Bible, here is God's foundation. All right? He says, now a minister speaking, he gets inspiration. He's got a gift of healing, a gift of healing course, his faith in healing. Now he believes it with all his heart, and he stands up and preaches it, and with great forceful words that goes out amongst the people, they, and they just have to believe it. He just presents it in such a way till you just have to believe it. Now we could say faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Alright? He says, and then he goes into the individuals in his day. He says, Brother Roberts is very good at that. Brother Osborne is a man who can tie Satan in so many places in the Scripture till he hasn't got a place to move. They do that by inspiration. The Holy Spirit gives them a gift of divine healing which gives inspiration to the people when they see the Word of God is claiming what they're talking about, all right? So then you, the people have to have a certain level of faith. So now I've, I've, I've introduced actually three elements of faith that you don't even realize I've introduced. Number one, a person has to believe in God. Number two, a person has to believe that this is God's Word. And number three, a person has to believe that the person speaking is giving them God's word. And so, so even as the angel of the Lord told Brother Branham, if you can get the people to believe you, nothing will stand at your prayer, not even cancer. All right, so it wasn't just Brother Branham and his gift and the anointing, but also that the people would believe him, that he was sent from God. All right, so he says they do that by inspiration. The Holy Spirit gives them a gift of divine healing, which gives inspiration to the people when they see the Word of God is claiming what they're talking about. He says, and upon that, they have a right then to anoint with oil, lay on hands, or committal, or anything they want to do the way they feel led to do it. All right, so now he's taking it a step further and says, all right, they bring the people the Word, They've tied the devil in knots. Now, what devil? The devil that comes to every service. The devil that whispers in your ears, trying to get you 
to believe a certain thing. See, if you could understand the thoughts and how thoughts work and how the devil, and realize that any thought that comes to your mind that is contrary to the Word of God came from the devil. It's not you thinking it. Well, I, I thought this and I thought that. No, the devil put that in there and tries to get you to be, claim it or believe it as your own thoughts. And you need to send it back to the devil where it came from. And the same devil is present this morning to try and get you to believe certain things. Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? Just like he did in the Garden of Eden to Eve. Well, did God really say? Well, God knows this and he knows if you do this that you'll be like this and this will be like that. It's the same type of reasoning of the devil that he does every service. What you need to do is just renounce it all. If you're wrestling with the devil this morning, just renounce it. And say, that's contrary to the word. Get away from me, Satan. I just accept the word of God this morning. He says, then they, the minister, has a right then to anoint with oil, lay on hands, committal, anything they want to do the way they feel led to do it. All right, now he says, um, different ministers will be led different ways to do what? To bring the promise to the believer that they can receive what they have need of. One might feel led to have a prayer line. One might feel led to have an altar call. One might feel led to have the people stand. One might feel led to have the people raise their hand. One might feel led to do it this way. Do it that way. Just say, well, you just need to receive it right where you're sitting. Why don't you just claim it? Whatever way the minister feels led to do it, it's not the minister doing it, but he's brought the word and he's brought your faith to a certain level. In other words, the anointing of God is building in the service till it anoints you to receive the promise that God has sent for you. Not the minister. It's you. The promise is for God's children. The promise is that you might be blessed this morning. The promise is that you can leave this place and say, I met with God this morning. Hallelujah. He says, but all the healing doesn't come from the man. It comes from the individual's faith in God. Now, see, I just preached that. I could have just read that. He says the healing doesn't come from the man. The man. The healing comes from God. And it's your faith in God. So then that faith is what needs to be raised. Or I'll say it this way. It's that faith that needs to be anointed. He says your individual faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ at Calvary is what takes away the sickness. I got to read that statement again. Isn't it wonderful? Your individual faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Where's the atonement? Not today. 2,000 years ago. That's what takes away the sickness. All right. So then what is the purpose of preaching? Is to raise your individual faith in the atonement at Calvary. He says, that all lays in God in the working of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. So inspiration is to make you reach out by faith and take a hold of the promise that's already there. And it works with revelation. All right. And I'll I'll say this on the basis of 
I'll say my study of the word without going into it and preaching, because really it's a subject all in itself. I'll say an angel can inspire, but an angel cannot give revelation. Only God gives revelation. See, an angel came to Daniel one time and said, Daniel, I am come to make you understand. But he couldn't give revelation. That comes from God. But Daniel's crying out for understanding. I'm come to make you understand. You see, anointing is really understanding. Anointing is not emotions. Anointing is not sensations. But anointing is supreme power in control, knowing exactly what and how. Ah, So when anointing comes to the believer, it's to create a level of understanding in you that you know it's a finished work. So that God can drop that faith into your heart, which in itself is a supernatural work. But God drops that faith in your heart because he's the one that is moving you into a channel. I just have to slow down here. One day we're going to stand on the other side. Young again. I'm surprised you're not dancing, Brother Ken. Or older. Some of you will be older. But you'll be perfect. You won't be going through temptations. There'll never be the opportunity for the devil to put another thought in your mind. It'll be finished. There'll never be another mind battle. Amen, Brother Titus? Never another mind battle. We'll never be crossing our bridges a thousand times again. We'll never be going through the, in, you know, battles. You know, I talk about war and guns and tanks and all those kind of things. Sometimes I think that would be a pleasure compared to the battles we go through. Just give me a gun and put me on the front line and... Let me dodge bullets and, and try and shoot the enemy if that's what I got to do. But that, that to me, that's, that's black and white. That you're not thinking about anything else than surviving. Just let me live the day out. But to every day, the devil comes at you from a new angle. But one day, praise the Lord, the, he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. One day, there'll be no more sorrow. One day, there'll be no more pain. One day, there'll be no more anguish. There'll be no more thoughts of, oh, I wish I had never done this, or I wish I had never done that. It'll just be amazing grace in the fullness of its manifestation. We'll be young again, in every way we'll be young again, even in our thoughts we'll be young again. Praise be to God. And all of the struggles that we have because of this fleshly existence will be gone. Hallelujah. And so God... But yet, here we are right now, and that's where God, I don't even want to say He's taking us, that's where He's pushing us. I'm glad He's pushing us. I'm glad He's saying, you're going to make it. I'm glad there's voices beyond the curtain of time that said to Brother Branham, keep pressing on. Keep pressing the battle. 
Amen. It's a battle, but keep pressing it. Press forward. That Paul said in the scriptures, I lay aside the things that are in the past. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. There's something laying out there and something's pushing me. It's not me. If it's me, I'd lay down and just kind of fade away. But there's something inside of me pushing me. Keep, take another step. You can do it. Uh, you maybe made a mistake. You maybe said something wrong. You maybe acted wrong. You maybe didn't do something you should have done. But yet keep pressing forward. One day we'll come to the perfection. We will always do. Hallelujah. We will always do what we're supposed to do. And we will never do what we're not supposed to do. I'm glad that Romans 7 will come into no effect. When I would do good evils present with me, there'll be a time where that will be old news. Hallelujah. Old news. Glory. Something's pushing us there. But because we're humans... We need anointing. Because we're humans, we need inspiration. But we also need to understand what it, how it works and how it moves in our lives and, and realize that there's certain things that have to happen because you, know, you may not realize it, but you need an uncertain life because you must live by faith. If everything was certain, you wouldn't need faith. When David walked into the camp to, to fight against Goliath, he didn't know he was there to fight against Goliath. God knew he was there to fight against Goliath. God knows why you're here this morning. And so when David walked into the camp and the, and the opportunity was there, and David was already fortified by the Word of God. He was already anointed. He was already uh, in the right channel. And so when he heard the boast of the enemy, then there was something in him that said, that's not right. He wasn't trying to figure out if it's right. He said, that's not right. Why do you let this uncircumcised Philistine boast against the armies of the living God? And, and the people begin to hear David's questions and, and, and say, so why didn't somebody fight him? And, and then he says, well, what will happen if somebody fights him? And they gave him the, what the king said. He says, well, I'll go and fight him. Why? He was anointed. He was in a channel. He was the man for the job. But yet, in spite of all that, they tried to... to increase his probability of living let's give you a helmet let's give you a shield let's give you a breastplate let's put these things on you and and let's just increase the probabilities of things working out because in war even you find out historically that most people don't like to fight unless the odds are in their favor but david wasn't that kind of a man he was the kind of a man that was after God's own heart. If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's do it no matter how bad it looks. And I, and I, I like to, I like to, I always think back in those times to Stonewall Jackson's statements where he was in the middle of a battle and everybody else was deserting and they asked him, why did you stand there like a stone wall? He said it would have been no dishonor to die there. And I think David probably felt the same way. My God is able to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. But maybe in the back of my mind, even if he doesn't, it's no dishonor to die here. 
Let me die for him. Oh, we, we, oh, you like to say, oh, David probably had no doubts. No, David was human. And the devil was just as much the devil then as he is now. So that when the devil comes around and says, David, you don't stand a chance. David could have just said, but it's no dishonor to die here. But I believe that the same one that anointed me, that called me to be king, I believe his promise. See, there was no certainty. It was faith in the promise. God called me to be the king. I'm not king yet. I'm anointed to be king. If God's word is true, he has to take me from here to there. God has called you to be bride. God has called you to be perfect. God has called you to overcome all things. Say, well, there's no certainty. You don't need certainty. He said it. And if God's word is true, he will take you from here to there. Hallelujah. Because God's word is true. Not because I understand it. Not because I'm certain. But because I believe him. I trust him. I love him. He has blessed me. He's given me everything that's worth having. But even still, as Brother Branham said, if he cast me into hell, I'll still love him. Because everything that I've had in life worthwhile came from him. Hallelujah. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 if you would. wife and I were talking about the 1812 overture yesterday. Now somebody in service is saying, that's random. Praise the Lord. I'll maybe come back to that. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Moses on the backside of the desert. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now Moses was in the wilderness, but he was dead. He had a job. He had a family. He had food. He had people that loved him. He had an income. Maybe, no doubt, he also worshipped in some form. I think his father-in-law was a priest of some sort. And so, in all of that, uh, Moses was there. We could say Moses was a predestinated vessel. But he was dead. He wasn't alive. Because alive means to be inspired by God. And that's the thing that was lacking in Moses' life. He was gifted. He was a man with great talents. But he was dead. He, had, he needed to be made alive. Not necessarily in the way that we would understand the new birth. But he needed the inspiration of God. And what does it mean to be alive? 
And so then verse 2 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Moses didn't know. He was just attracted to something that was happening here. This, he saw this burning bush in the distance. And then he no doubt went on his business and looked back and it was still burning. And then he thought, well, that's burning for a while. He, a little more time went on and it was still burning. It didn't burn out. It was, there was still a light in the bush. And so he says, now, I'm going to go and see what's happening here. And so when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. It was a very personal call. It was not, I'm glad you've arrived or, or, you, or, or just get to the spot of you're standing on holy ground or anything. Like that. No, Moses. He begins with his name. God knows your name. He's very personal in his dealings with you. And when he says something to attract your attention, it will come in a way that will be very personal to you. And so God comes to attract Moses. And Moses says, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. So Moses, being very um, intelligent, we could say, it, there was something there that made him realize... Whatever this is, it knows me. And I don't even like to say it, because God is not an it. But he, 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 this is a personality, this is a person, and he knows me. And so Moses now being drawn into the presence of God, he doesn't, he doesn't maybe intellectually understand everything. He doesn't know why this is speaking to him. And when we come to the Word, we don't always understand why a certain something speaks to us. But it speaks to us. And you might even relate how God spoke to you and to somebody else that hears your testimony. It's like, that's nice. Oh, that's interesting. And so you just begin to, you know, it doesn't mean the same thing to them as it meant to you. That's why sometimes in a testimony, it's hard to relate specific things that are so deeply real and personal and supernatural to us, because to somebody else, it's not personal to them. And everything that God does in a supernatural way is meant to be personal. Some people might miss it. Many times, Brother Bradham would stand in a service and say, you know, God, there's a, there's a man that God's dealing with out here or a woman and, and they're such and such and they've got this such and such a problem. Stand up and, and receive your healing. Stand up and receive it. You're going to miss it. Oh, they missed it. They missed it. It came personally, but they missed it. And so Moses here was not missing it. Praise the Lord. And so as Moses went to the bush and and he says, draw not nigh hither, hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy round. Don't worry about coming to God and not knowing what to do. God will tell you what to do. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now Moses knew exactly what was happening. And he hid his face, the scripture says. And he was afraid to look upon God. And I would be too. 
And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. All right. I just like to ponder all the different angles of the scripture. And as I was looking at this, I realized God calls Moses by name. And then God tells him what to do to approach him. And then God introduces himself. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your fathers. And then God says, I have seen the affliction of my people. Why is that important? No doubt, here's this man that saw the affliction of God's people. As he lived in Egypt and looked out of the windows of the palace and, and thought it greater riches to suffer affliction with God's people than all of the treasures in Egypt. Re- esteemed the reproach of Christ greater treasures than all the riches of Egypt. Is that right? And so Moses saw affliction. He saw burdens. He saw what people, his own parents went through and, and the taskmasters and all that they did. And Moses experienced that. And maybe out there on the backside of the desert, as he had all of this time to think about it, he could say, doesn't God see that? Doesn't God understand? Is that his people? Doesn't he know what they're going through? And, and God says to Moses, I've seen my people's affliction. Is that right? I see them, which are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. And I know their sorrows. Now that's a very... God doesn't use words by chance. He said the same thing to the Smyrnian age. I know your afflictions. I know your trials. And Brother Branham picks up on that by inspiration, and we've read it recently, but I'll go through it one more time. He says, there he is walking in the midst of his people, he the chief shepherd of the flock. But does he hold back the persecution? Does he stem the tribulation? No, he does not. He simply says, I know your tribulation. I'm not unmindful of your suffering. He says, then he he goes to Israel. He says, like Israel, they wonder if God really loves them. And then he says, you see, they could not figure out God's love. He's talking about Israel. He says, they thought love meant no suffering. They thought that love meant a baby with parental care. Because that's what it means to us. We have a baby. We don't want the baby to suffer. He says, but God said his love was elective love and the proof of his love is election and that no matter what happened, his love was proven truly by the fact that they were chosen unto salvation because God has chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. He may commit you to death as he did Paul. Hello? It may be your lot to die young. That was my first wife's lot. I know what I'm talking about. You don't get to choose when you die. He chooses. He told Satan, you can affect Job's life, but you cannot take his life. You cannot kill him. It's not his time to go. He's got more to live for on the earth. 
But when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And I actually said to someone this week, I said, I said, it's, it's not really, we don't get to choose when we go, but we get to choose how well we live while we're here. Take care of yourself. Eat the right things. Get some exercise. All of those kind of things. Because you might have to live till you're 90 years old. Praise the Lord. Some of you people that are past 50 understand what I'm talking about. You know, when you're 20, you're like, I'm going to live forever. This is going to feel this good. This is great. You know, everything's wonderful. And, you know, praise the Lord. I'll never suffer any illnesses. I'll never be overweight like my dad. That's what I said. What are you laughing about? I'll never go through what he went through. My dad's still living. Praise the Lord. I don't think he's here this morning. But, you know, but he's in reasonable health, but he's still alive. My mom has gone on. She died at, I think, 64 years old, if I remember correctly. And she passed away many years ago. That was her time to go. But you don't get to choose your time, but take care of yourself while you're here. Because you have to understand, God is the one that puts you through what he's putting you through. He says, he says God has chosen you. He may commit you to death as he did Paul. He may commit you to suffering as he did Job. That's his prerogative. He is sovereign, but it is all with a purpose. Again, we go back to, he's taking us from here to there. It's all with a purpose. If he did not have a purpose, then he would be the author of frustration and not of peace. Alright? His purpose is that after we have suffered a while, we would be made perfect. Amen. Be established, strengthened, and settled. So Job says, he puts strength in us. In plain language... The very character of Jesus was perfected by suffering. And according to Paul, he has left his church a measure of suffering that they too, by their faith in God, while suffering for him, would come to a place of perfection. Let me read that again. By their faith in God, while suffering for him, So that means after you have believed, after you have been quickened by the new birth, there is a measure of suffering that's to take you to a place. That's to take you to this place of perfection. And we realize the fullness of perfection is when this body is changed. Praise the Lord. So there is, there is something that is happening here as God is speaking to Moses in the, in the scripture and he says, I know their sorrows. I know their affliction. I'm going to take them to a place. They're down there in Egypt for 400 years, but that's not their place. You were in the world. That was not your place. Some of you were in denomination. I was in denomination. That's not my place. There's thousands of souls that are hearing in Uganda that that have heard denomination is not your place, and they are responding. It doesn't matter if it costs us our home. It doesn't matter if it costs us our place of worship. It doesn't matter what it costs us. This is not our place. The word of the hour has come to bring us out from these things. Come out of her, my people. Be not partaker of her sins, that you be not partaker of her plagues. Come out of her and come to a place that I'll show you. And so God says to Moses, he says, I've seen their afflictions. I I know they're suffering. I understand what they're going through. It's been a season, but the season has changed. Glory! The season has changed. What happened? Something just struck me. The season has changed. 
The church has been through seven church ages, but the season has changed. There's been a lot of cutting and a lot of suffering and a lot of going through things, and there's still individual suffering to happen. But let me tell you something, this season has changed. When God describes it in Ezekiel, He calls it the time of love. It's the time of the bride. It's the bride age. We could put a lot of different names to it in Ephesian age. We could describe it in many different ways in the Scripture. But the important part is that you realize the season has changed. And if the season has changed, then the potentials have changed. The church could only go so far before this age, but now, and now we come to our subject, now the anointing has changed. Moses was a gift that was laying there for 40 years in the wilderness. He grew up 40 years in Egypt. He laid there 40 years in the wilderness, but the season changed. Now I've come to anoint that which lays within you. I've heard the cry of my people. Verse 10, come now therefore and I will send you unto Pharaoh. Hallelujah. Moses, it's time to fulfill the word that I spoke for you. I said to your forefathers, I'll bring them out with a mighty hand. That's you. Moses, it's time for me to anoint you. I've come to anoint you with my word. I've come to inspire you. I've come to give you what you have need of. Because this is the season. Oh Lord, help us this morning. The word of this hour didn't come for no reason. didn't just come to bring us a revival. It came to anoint the bride of Jesus Christ. The season changed. Not today, not yesterday. The season changed a generation ago. Where God sent a prophet with a word. To announce the change of a season. That God's word would come upon the church. As Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. And even as he breathed on the disciples and says, receive you the Holy Ghost, it was a word. The season is about to change. It's no longer just going to be the God in his fullness in me now. Oh, I'm going to come into you. I'll be with you. I'll even be in you. Right to the end of the age, receive ye this quickening. Receive my anointed word. Receive that anointing that is around my throne. Receive the ushering into my presence. Receive the supernatural quickening. Receive that which raises you above the earthly plane. Receive that which lifts you above Pharisees and lifts you above Sadducees and lifts you above man-made ideas, lifts you above religion. Receive it. Receive it. Let the power of God come into your lives. He's announcing it. It was announced in this age. What came by a man's way on a log. 1961, which happens to be the year I was born. Out there in the wilderness of northern British Columbia, an anointed word came to a man. And by his own confession, I'm pointing to our pastor. By his own confession, he says, my life was never the same. Something happened there. What was it? An anointed word. Okay, it wasn't, it wasn't an anointed explanation. It was an anointed word. Well, you just need to read the next scripture. Well, this is, you know, this is, and, and then all of a sudden, bang, everything just begins to open up. Amen. What, what come to a, 
I better say this nicely. What come to a a partying university psychology major? Excuse me. What happened? He was running away from it, but one day that word quickened him. One day the word came by his way. What happened there? It wasn't just religion. He'd been to religion. He'd heard Brother Tom's testimony. I tried this church. I talked to this one. I knew that. That wasn't it. But one day, the season changed. The season had changed and it came to him. All right. So God begins to, to, begins to deal. Why? Because as he says in Revelation 1, is, he says, John describes him, he says, there's a sword going out of his mouth. And it's a, it's a two-edged sword. It's Hebrews 4.12 that is going out of his mouth. Sharper than a two-edged sword, the Word. Dividing asunder between soul and spirit. Not just once, but every age. Dividing asunder between what you were bound in and what, where God's going to take you to. Loosing you from the constraints of everything that holds you back. Loosing you from the constraints of humanity into a realm of faith in God's Word. Loosing you from religion, loosing you from your family nature, loosing you from your culture, loosing you from your own ideas, loosing you from your own thoughts of how, how intellectually brilliant you are. Loosing you from your own ideas that you got it figured out. Listen, I was 17 years old once too. I thought I knew everything. And you know, you all think, we all think with that at that age group, 17, 18, 19, you know what, I'm going to figure it out for myself. Quite frankly, none of us figured it out for ourselves. But one day God came by our way. And, I, and if I say anything to any young person here this morning, it's not that you figure it out. It's that God brings you into His presence and shows you that you can't figure it out. There was a man by the name of Moses had the opportunity to have everything in the world for 40 years, was raised in the house of Pharaoh, the most richest, most powerful nation in the world, had everything, and he couldn't figure it out. Ended up 40 years on the backside of the desert. May God grant that you don't end up 40 years on the backside of the desert, but may He grant you a burning bush experience. That you come individually, personally into the presence of God and He calls your name. And He says, i got a purpose for you. And only you can fulfill it. I don't have plan B. I have a purpose A for you. His word goes out. His word went out after Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. His word went out. Roll back the stone. Lazarus come forth. A man that had been dead four days. A man that had been wandering in the eternities. Where was he? The Bible never records Lazarus' testimony. Oh, I was on the other side and I saw this and there was angels and thrones and a throne. or there was I saw experiences. No, just Lazarus. There he is. Lazarus come forth. It quickened him. He was dead and now he's alive. He called his name. It was personal. Lazarus, come forth. May he call your name if he hasn't already called your name. If he's already called your name, may you hear it again this morning. Lazarus, come forth. We ought to approach the service. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit personal, but we ought to just approach the service and just say, Lord, I want to hear my name this morning. Not necessarily Tim Dodd, but I want to hear it 
personally to me. The word went forth. It was the word of God, Brother Branham says, life sprung to itself again. Back come the victim from beyond yonder somewhere to life again. There was Lazarus. There was Moses. The word came forth and Lazarus, or Moses sprung to life. Well, not the Moses of the humanity, but the Moses of the thoughts of God. Now sprung to life, the predestinated seed gene, the deep calling from within that there had to be a deep re- to respond. The anointed word of the hour came by his way. Now is the season, and Moses sprung to life. It didn't matter about his father-in-law anymore. It didn't matter about the sheep anymore. It didn't matter so much about anything anymore. Now, but by purpose in life has come into alignment with God's perfect will. Hallelujah, the anointing of God quickened the predestinated seed. You'll, you'll see why I'm saying it that way. Greatest battle ever fought as we press on. He says, but your mind accepts it. He says, he says, it's not mind over matter. He says, but your mind accepts it and grasps it. What is your mind controlled by your spirit? And your spirit catches the word of God. And that's the thing that's got life in it. What is the word of God? He says, it brings life into you. Oh, brother, what that, when that takes place, when life comes down that channel into you, the Word of God is manifested in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask what you will and it will be done for you. What's the Word that comes in through your mind and enters into you? And the sword of the Spirit The sword of that spirit is the word of God. What does the spirit fight with? What does the Holy Spirit fight with? Sensations? Feelings? The word. Amen. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, he's not interested in in giving you a certain feeling. He's not interested in giving you a certain sensation. Why? Because feelings and sensations can be duplicated. But he comes to you with the word. And He anoints you with His Word. And that Word speaks to you personally and it quickens you and it looses you. Because the Word becomes an absolute within your life. As Paul had an absolute within his life, it's not good enough that we say, well, you know, this Bible's the absolute. I believe that too. If you want to talk carnally. But I'm not interested in just carnally looking at this Word. This Word must come into my life to be my absolute. And when the word is anointed to me personally, then it's my absolute. No matter what the enemy tries to throw against me, it's my absolute. See, anointing brings understanding. Supreme power and control, knowing what and how. I got the quote here somewhere. I'll get it word for word in a bit. So the anointing comes to you now. Are you still with me? All right. I'll give you a bit of a breather. My wife sometimes helps me. She says, sometimes you, when you talk, she says, it's like every statement is packed with information. Slow down. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll slow down. I'm just conscious that I don't preach very much, and so I try and cram it all in, you know. That's just my own complexes. So we just try and take advantage, redeem the time. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, he's trying to make it spiritual now. That's why you're laughing, right? <laughs> yeah. 
The anointing, God's anointing comes to you now. I'm not talking about the new birth now. I'm talking about the anointing. It comes to you to bring answers. And I'll, I'll, say, I'll say it this way. It comes to bring leadership. I'll just lay these things out and then I'll, I'll come back behind and verify it. Anointing clarifies vision. All right? So I'll just make that statement. And that's the reason why you shouldn't try and be somebody else. Because someone else's anointing will take you places you shouldn't go to. You need to be yourself. And God anoints you to be you. Because in you, He put gifts and callings. He put certain things that were meant for you. That He will use you in what He's called you to do. So Moses, by intellectual conception of what he was before the anointing, produced nothing, nothing of any value. He was already the deliverer. He already believed. He already esteemed the reproach of Christ greater treasure than all the riches in Egypt or vice versa. He already was was aware of certain things in his life. He had already been taught by his mother. He had already been told you were born under a supernatural sign. All these things were things that were lodged within his mind, but he had to be anointed by the Word. All right, I want you to catch that now. Brother Bradham, uh, and I was studying, for those of you that like to study the message, the message, Why Christ Speak. It's one of three messages I'll mention this morning. Uh, in Why Christ Speak, I, I began to look at it from a different perspective because Brother Branham talks a lot in there of anointing. And you may not be aware of that. But if now you read it again, you'll be aware of that as he's talking about anointing. He says about Moses, as he talks about why, in Why Christ Speaks, he says he was born with this great gift and quality within him. All right? Moses is not unique. You're all born with a gift and quality within you. All right? He says, then it only taken something to flash across that to bring that thing to life. See, the word that I speak unto you, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Alright, so now, God draws Moses to the burning bush, not to fill the warmth of the burning bush. God drew Moses to the burning bush to commission him, to anoint him for service. Alright, so it, ta- it only taken something to flash across that to bring that thing to life. See, the seed of God is actually placed in us from the foundation of the world. And when that light first strikes that seed, it brings it to life. But the light first has to come upon the seed. Alright, so then he says, Moses being born with this great gift of faith. Then he was anointed and commissioned at the burning bush to deliver God's people. Afterwards, he was brought to the place where he was anointed. And notice the seed laying there with the intellectual conception. With all the faith that he was born to deliver this people, and yet it never come to life until the light from the burning bush flashed across it. Until he seen, listen now, not something he read about, but something he seen with his own eyes. Something that spoke 
to him. And he spoke back to it. And then Brother Bram says, oh, how that did bring things to life. Hallelujah. In you is sisters' potentials to be a mother and a wife. But there has to be a light flash across there. Because there's many women out there in the world that have potentials to be a real wife and a real mother that simply are not. There's, there's fathers, husbands the same way. I'm just starting out with the very basic things. But there's particular individual gifts in the body of Jesus Christ that God has put in everyone in particular. And there's something that you must be faithful to that God wants to anoint in your particular life because only you can be that part of the body. Now, it's not everyone trying to be something and trying to, oh, I'm this and I'm that. No, the more God anoints you, the humbler it gets. The, the, the more it should humble us. He says, God had called him, let's talk about Moses, from birth. But qualities in him of great faith and then come down with his presence and anointed that great something in him and sent him down with his word. He was properly vindicated of his claims. I want you to see that's why. Uh, uh, I'll just use an example here. I could, I could go up to a certain brother and say, you know, God has told me to share something with you. And. And it's a certain something that you need to know personally, and I'm going to share it with you. And the brother sitting there might go, oh, okay, what is it? And I share it with him, and he walks away, and it means nothing to him. Now, then it wasn't God. It was just me. If God inspires you to do something, then it will always glorify Jesus Christ, number one, not me. And it will always be something that will impact a situation, be it ever so humble. But it will always be a positive. In other words, it vindicates itself. Now, now, if I come up to a brother, now, excuse me, just, this is just basic instruction. I hope you don't mind. If I just come up to a brother and I, and I say, but rather than me coming to him and binding him all up and saying, you know, God told me to tell you this. Thus, if, if I just go up to him and say, how you doing? You know, did you ever think about such and such a thing? Oh, no, I never did. And then just kind of walk away. If that's God, it will have a supernatural impact. It doesn't need me telling him, thus saith the Lord, or God spoke to me, or I understand all mysteries, or I know all these things, and, and I'm really the one to share all these things. No. It's just an individual little something that will go to somebody. Drop a little seed in. And if that seed is supernatural, you watch it take effect. Alright, that's just a little grassroots help you out there. He says, I want you to never forget that word, what Moses said. What Moses said, God honored because God's word was with Moses. I'll be with your mouth. It'll speak the right Thing. Amen. All right. So Brother Adam takes takes the thought of Jesus anointing. 
Then I, now, did you know Jesus, the anointing came to Jesus at the river? When John baptized him? And uh, because the same one that called him said, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon, that's the one that will baptize with the Holy Ghost. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, and so John was down there at the river, not knowing that it was his second cousin Jesus that God was dealing with, that God had brought into his own second cousin, naturally speaking, not really his second cousin, spiritually speaking. But, you know, there was God in flesh. He knew him as his second cousin because it came from Mary and Joseph. But yet, as far as John was concerned, here Jesus walks to the river and he sees the Lamb of God, and he declares to the people, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so now Jesus goes into the water and is baptized, and the, and the, and the, the Scripture is fulfilled, and the anointing comes upon his life. Now is the season. Now is the time where he takes his position. It was always in him. And that's where you have to understand. The gift, the, char- the characteristics of it was always there. But now the anointing come to the individual for the season. And now that individual begins to walk in the fulfillment of the Word for three and a half years. Declaring the manifestation of the Scripture. Anointed with the Word of the hour. Anointed down there. But then I'll, I'll just say this now. As he comes to the end of three and a half years, and I'm just going to drop this in. And how that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Brother Branham says there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the anointing lifted or the Spirit of God left him. All right, now what happens? He still has to go to Calvary. But he has to do it without the anointing. Because what happened was the anointing came to bring him to this position, led him as a as the dove leads the lamb through three and a half years. And now in the Garden of Gethsemane, the anointing leaves him, but what stays? The character stays. Because now he who learned uh, obedience by the things that he suffered, knelt in the garden in perfect surrender, and says, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And he's, he's kneeling there in a perfect character, ready for the climax of his life without the anointing. Saints, it doesn't mean you have to be anointed to live right. But God's molding a character within the individual that will do the right thing no matter whether or not the anointing is there. See, that's where... where I don't like to hit... I, I believe we have a positive message. I believe we ought not to be cranky preachers. I believe that, that you know, this message is life and it's positiveness. And I don't think... I think sometimes the reason that we can c- complain about crooked sticks is because we don't have a straight stick to lay down beside it. I believe in preaching on a straight stick that is so straight that and when anybody looks at their own stick and it's crooked, they can realize, well, the straight stick is the, really the better way to go. And so, you know, I say all of that to say this, that, you know, there are, there are eras that have gone by that have said, you know, what we need is more anointing, what we need is more anointing. No, what the anointing comes to do is to mold our lives. 
We learn obedience by the things that we suffer. There's a measure of suffering that brings the church to a place of perfect faith in the perfect word. Till we can stand by faith in the word, knowing that God has put us there, regardless of how anointed we are, because it's not just the anointed word of the hour, it's the character and the life that has been quickened within the individual. This is a life-transforming message. This is not just an anointed word, but the anointed word comes to you to mold you into the image of the word itself. Anointing. Anointing. Jesus was anointed at the river. We know the rain, the anointing falls on the just and the unjust. Are you still with me? All right, I'm coming to the, the, main, climb, the, main, the main central theme of the matter here. And how that anointing has that purpose of, we could say, a just and the unjust. We could say the anointing came upon Balaam. But he couldn't help but be what he was. Even though he could prophesy. He could get under, and you even notice how, how Balaam knew how to get under the anointing? Is by the word. Set the altars in order, set everything in order, and, and put it all in place according to what it should be. And then, and then the Spirit of God comes down and anoints him, and he begins to prophesy. And, of course, he could only say what God told him to say, because that's a true prophecy, that's a true anointing, even though the vessel was false. And so as he began to prophesy, he began to prophesy good towards Israel. But he couldn't help but be what he was despite the anointing. Because after that, he taught Balak how to cast a stumbling block before Israel. His teaching was contrary to the word. And he, and he was really looking for position, though he was anointed, though he, he could do something. And so in this end time, that's why when the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And Jesus describes it in Matthew 13, at the parable of the tares and the wheat. He says, let them grow together until the end time. But in the end time, I'll send my messengers. The reapers will come. And they'll bind the tares. What is the binding of the tares? It's an anointing, an end time anointing that comes upon the tares as well as the wheat. So that it manifests what the tares really are. That they'll be bound together in organizational systems according to the World Council of Churches. Now here's a thought for you. They'll be bound together by the World Council of Churches in opposition to the Word of God. So I'll just say the more anointed word that you get in a country like Uganda, the more it's also going to anoint the tares to be in opposition. You can actually go back to history in 1963 when the seals became open and that eagle anointing, as we call it, flew out and began to anoint the church. It also anointed the carnal church because the two vines were together. And so as it anointed the carnal church, all of a sudden this idea, ecumenical movement. We need to be ecumenical and we need to, we need to work together. Brother Biscoe talked about it a couple weeks ago and they began to join hands with different organizations and denominations. What was it? It was an end time anointing. But because they weren't seed, they were tares, it had to produce a binding of the World Council Church. It's anointing to produce what they are. You want revival? How many want revival? Brother Bradham talks about revival. Oh my, I was reading about revival here. 
And maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. And I'll maybe just leave that thought just hanging right there for just for a moment. Just, just let me lay in the thought of the anointed word. I'm sorry. I just got to put one more thing in before we get to the end. Is that all right? Are you still here? All right. How many are sleeping? None. Okay, good. All right. Brother Brown says, he takes, he takes the thought, you know, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. He says, now I'm going to give you the first time he uses the phrase anointed word after the seals. This is what I never got to last time. I feel like if I don't get it to this, to this time, you'll hear from me again on it. He says, when Jesus came, he wasn't just a man. He wasn't just the third person of the Trinity. He was God. All right. The body, sure, was Christ. It was the anointed one. And if Christ means the anointed one, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is the word, then the word is the anointing. And then he says, if you abide in me and my word in you, then say what you will. It's the Word of God, the anointed Word, that does it. All right? So that's the first time he's using that after the opening seals. Now I'll go back to spoken word as the original seed, which is where Brother Branham uses anointed word for the very first time. And he's actually talking about Moses, who's our subject this morning. And he says, Moses, he says, there stood the anointed word, the prophet, with his helper, his assistant. He says, oh, I wish I could preach on that now for just about two hours. He says, there was that anointed word. What was it? Moses came from the burning bush and he came down to Israel and people looked at him. Well, he's a man. He's, he's the son of, uh, what was his father's name? Uh, uh, Amram and his mother, Jochebed, I think, was that right? And, uh, and so they, they, you know, we know him, we know his lineage, he's, he's from a certain tribe and all of those kind of things, and they begin to look at him. No, that's not it. He's the anointed word. And the anointed word has come to anoint your faith and take you into the promised land. And so that anointed word had come to them, but they were resistant of the anointed word. Who is this man? Why have you brought us out into the desert? Why are you saying these things? Why did you lead us to the Red Sea? Was there not enough graves in Egypt? Why have you brought us out here where there's no water? Why have you brought this problem upon us? Why have you brought that problem upon us? It's not me bringing it upon you. It's God that sent us this way to prove you. Whether you could receive the anointed word. Because as they came out to Kadesh Barnea, and they had not received the Word of God mixed with faith in their hearts, they could not go to the place that God was going to take them. I come down to Egypt with my anointed Word to take you into the promised land. You must receive the vehicle that will take you there. And the vehicle is the anointed word. It's not intelligence. It's not military logic. It's not armies or swords or anything like that. It's the anointed word. Hallelujah. He says another place, when the word of the Lord come to the prophets in them only because they was anointed with the word. 
They had the right to interpret the word. God worked through them proving that the word was right. That's why this message is so important. It's not about a man. It's about God saying, now I'm sending my anointed word into the church to change her from church to bride. To bring her into position. In other words, I'm sending my anointed word to her personally. There's a bride's seed laying in you. It's laying in you. And this anointed word, correctly received, will make you what I spoke of you. It will take you where you are meant to go. Hallelujah. He says, what system can we go to? The Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, or Pentecostal system? There is nothing at all that we can do but come back to that anointed word of the promise of the hour. Those systems are frail. They're faltry. He says, they're man-made systems and they will not save you. There is no life in them. Only life is in the Word of God. It is life. He said so. Amen. Brother Random says, another place says, many gifts and many gifts. He says, a minister has a gift of divine healing. He says, and many gifts and rest in that minister. He comes here to the building. He takes the Word of God. He's a master explainer. He can stand and explain it. Now, that's the way they try to make you see them, their gift. They have to prove to you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So they believe, they believe it with all their heart. They prove it by the word that it's right. He says, my gift, I'm not gifted like that. My gift is seeing visions. And then when you see something that God has did, something that the Father has made manifest as a spiritual gift, a knowledge that, that God comes down, and anoints, a knowledge that God comes down and anoints, because I should talk about the preacher, and makes them preach the word. He says, then God comes down in anointing on another gift, and he will know things and foreshadow things and tell things what will be, what's to do. What, what's that to do, he says? Does that heal you? No. It brings your faith up to Jesus Christ. Who has already healed you. Alright. So now we've talked about anointed word. Anointed minister. Anointed gifts. Anointing. 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 What is it all to do? To bring you to a place. To bring you to a destination. To bring you into a realm. Where God can deal with you. Because it's the devil's tactics. To disrupt the anointing. That to manifest, to disrupt that anointing, to manifest the Word by anointing your flesh. You know, he did it in David's case. He did it in Elijah's case. We could go on down through the Scripture because the devil tries to disrupt the mind. And I know I started on this before, but I want to just say this because there's something in you, a mind battle that is even taking place right now to disrupt the power of God that's anointing the predestinated seed right within your life. And I, and I felt very strongly to say this because of what Brother Bisco said a couple of weeks ago. So now here's the other two messages. Brother Bisco took from a message, Invasion of the United States. And I spoke that a couple of weeks ago. You need to go back and look at that. That's 54, 1954, 1959. 
Brother Brown takes a similar thought in another message called Deceived Church by the World. All right? And then uh, Why Christ Speak is the third message. So now in Deceived Church by the World, Brother Brown talks about revival. And here's the thought on revival. He says, so revival in our day. How can we have it when the regular revival giver is bound by the world? All right, let's go back. I said, the devil wants to anoint your flesh to stop the anointing of God on the predestinated seed, to bring out the characteristics that's already laying in there. The seed has power within itself to transform itself. And there's things, there's revelations, there's character that God wants to bring in your life to bring you into a certain place. I'll call it revival. All right? So revival, Brother Branham says, how can we have it when the regular revival giver is bound by the world? God won't come in where the world is. You can just depend on that. My family's from the same background as Brother Biscoe. He went he took us back and told us about revival meetings. I was too young. Of course I was only born in nineteen sixty one. I didn't know those meetings. Heard about them. Great preachers and things. My grandpa was a uh, Pentecostal minister, started several churches, and was in Brother Branham's meetings, both in Vancouver and in Vernon. My uncle was in his in the meeting in Vernon where Brother Biscoe was also as a young man, 14 years old, saw the little girl's eyes get cross-eyed, gets healed. But what Brother Biscoe told us about these great things that were happening and what stopped, what changed, where did they go? What took place? Why did it all die out? Of course, we knew it had to, but why did it all die out? And there's really one answer. The world began to creep in. Invasion of the USA. All right? Deceive church by the world. And so, people that were actually born again, hungering for revival, Jack, uh, not Jack Cole, Jack Moore, began to write in his magazine, fast pray, fast pray, there's a new day coming, there, you know, there's something uh, happening, and it's not too late, and you know, you know, seek God, and all of these kind of things. And he was encouraging the people to fast and pray, all right? which is a good thing. Fast and pray. But the one thing that was missing was a prophet of God standing there, meeting after meeting, year after year, declaring, every year I come and preach against it, and I come back the next year, and it's worse. The world was creeping into the church. And I can say uh, this morning that the reason that this church, this assembly now, And this is to all of you here personally, and examine your own lives. And I'm actually going to speak to you very straightly for a moment, the way I don't normally do. But examine your life, and examine your homes, and examine your own experience. Because you can desire revival with all of your heart, and if the world is there, the Spirit will not come. Don't be deceived in Laodicea because the devil, go back to the old days. How did the devil stop David? Through Bathsheba. 
How did the devil stop Elisha? By making him angry. With the three kings. And he became angry. And, and, and the spirit of the anointing of the Lord left him. And so until he had to call a minstrel and bring the anointing back. And you know all of these things and understanding how this works. How are you going to lose the spirit of revival in Cloverdale? Just get worldly. Just get a little message bling. Just get a little, oh, this little bit doesn't matter. That little bit doesn't matter. It's okay. You don't ever have to, have to ask me to preach again, Brother Tom. It's okay. I'll just lay it all out here this morning. Just allow the worldliness to come in. Just allow the sports to come in. The entertainments to come in. All of those kind of things, which are all made super appealing by the devil in this hour. Why are they having revival in Uganda? Because they don't have the world. They don't have the enticements. They don't have all of the attractions of the internet and all of those kind of things. They don't have all of the sports. They don't have all of the good things of life, which we have here, so-called good things. That attract our attention and draw us away from the spirit and the anointing of God that wants to move. I'm not saying the spirit of God is not moving, but what direction are we going in, saints? We better be getting closer to God. I examine myself and say, Lord, take all of the worldliness out of me. Take all of the things of the world away from me. Take all of the cares of this world away from me. Not, not there, there, is, there is a day-to-day living. There's things we have to do. There's things we have to take care of. We've got families. We've got children. We've got grandchildren. We've got all kinds of things. It's not about being a hermit in your room holding your Bible. But let go of the unclean things of the world. Are you with me? You sisters, don't be attracted by worldly fashions. That's all right. You don't ever have to like me no more. It doesn't matter. I'm married. I got children. I got a family. I think they still like me. But you know what? Don't be. Don't just go down the street and say, oh, "Well, this isn't too too far from the line." You know, this is this is this is okay. These heels aren't too bad. Do I got to preach on this? You know, these things. It's not in my notes. Don't worry. I'm just letting the Lord lead it here. You know, they, they, I can do this, I can do that, I can stay up all night, I can, I can be texting the world, I can be on my social media, I can do, watch every, every worldly thing and every other so-called message believer that's out there in the world. Not if you want the anointing. If you want to be anointed to be made who you are, you better get away from those things. Say, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of your life. I want more consecration. I want more of the Word. When God told Brother Bradham there was more, he said, what must I do? Be more sincere. See, when, when Brother Bradham began to speak on deceived church by the world, he began to speak on, on Samson and use him as an example, which is really the message once more, Lord. As he began to hit against Pentecost, but deceived church by the world, he's speaking in Jeffersonville. He's not speaking it out there on the evangelistic campaign. There was a difference. And as he began to speak, he says, so revival in our day, how can we have it when the regular revival giver is bound by the world? He says, God won't come in where the world is. You can just depend on that. You associate with the world, then that's all of it. When you let the world creep in, you go to acting like the world, then you are finished. Let the Spirit of God deal with you tonight. I'm not here to be somebody. Honestly, I'm not. 
I'm not trying to make myself big. I got my own things that I, I'm constantly praying about. Lord, make me more like you. Lord, let me be more like the word. It says, but when you'll cut loose every fetter from the world and come to God, then God will use you again. He says, God will use you until you go to flirting again. Samson. Oh, he was an anointed warrior to kill the Philistines. But he had that one weakness. He wanted to be loved. And you could only find it what he thought he could find in Delilah. His big mistake. I, 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 I might be a, a little guy here amongst the, the believers, but you know, out there I can be a big guy. I can show them my talents. I can do things that will attract me to the things of the world, uh, that, will, that will make me love, that will make me popular. I can be funny, or I can be this, or I can be that. Woe to any young man that will use his musical talents for the music of the world. And I don't say that lightly. He says, Lord God heavens of heavens and earth. He says, author of eternal life and giver of all good gifts. He says, Thy Spirit is here so anointing, Lord. This is the same quote in Deceived Church by the World. Same message, rather. He says, Thy Spirit is here so anointing, Lord, looks like the building's breathing, moving back and forth. He says, Why can't the people understand it, Lord? Have they associated with the world so much? And got so cold and formal and starchy till they don't know you anymore? Now there's an amazing statement. Brother Bram says the anointing is here so much till it seems like the building is breathing. Powerful anointing from the presence of God. But he says, why can't the people understand that? He says the anointing of God is here, but the people aren't catching it. The powers of God is here, but the people aren't catching it. It came for a purpose to raise your faith up. It came for a purpose to lift you above the world. He says, Lord, may this power strike everyone. And every sick person be healed. And every sinner saved. And God get the glory. There are levels of faith that God wants to bring you to. I'm going to close with this thought. When I've dealt with people that have grown cold to God, whether it be brothers or sisters or, or even family members, and I realize that, you know, just the usual statements that we make aren't getting through to them anymore. I'll often take them back to the beginning. Say, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in God? Yeah, of course. Of course I believe in God. All right. That's a good place to start. Let me ask you another question. Do you believe the Bible is God's Word? Yes, I believe the Bible is God's Word. Okay, that's good. We have something to build on here. Do you believe William Branham? Is God's prophet. 
Yes, I believe that. I believe he's God's prophet. Good, we have some more to build on. So what am I trying to do? I'm trying to zero in on where their faith is at. And, and then I'll say, you know, do you believe your pastor is God's man? Yeah, I, I believe that my pastor, all right. Do you believe that, that these people in general, not individual, because individually we make mistakes, but these people in general have sincere desires to serve God and to draw closer to God? Yes, I believe that. Good. We can build on that. Because if they'd have said no to any one of those statements, then you have to start there. Where did the devil get you off the track on that statement? It might not be, it might be that they believe in God. Yeah, no problem. Do you believe the Bible is God's word? Yeah, I believe that. Or they might say, well, I'm not sure. Where did you go wrong? Because now the devil has sidetracked you from where God can anoint your faith. And take them back there and, and work through that and pray through it with them and, and deal with them to bring them to a certain level. Because these are the elementary things that, that the anointing is to bring us way beyond wrestling with these things up into the presence of God in perfect faith. Listen, Jesus was anointed the Messiah. He was that Messiah. He knew he was, I'm quoting, he knew his position. He knew what he was sent to do. He knew the Father had identified him to be the Messiah to the believer. And when he met the believer with faith, he just spoke the word and the devils scattered. Hallelujah! There's the levels that I'm talking about. He knew he was was anointed the Messiah. He was that Messiah. That's the start. But then he knew what he was. He knew his position. He knew what he was sent to do. He knew the Father honored his word. He knew he was identified in the word of God. He knew he had a purpose in life. And that the anointing was upon him to fulfill those things. Then when he met a believer with faith, he just spoke the word. And the devils had to go. Hallelujah. What is he doing here this morning? Telling you I've sent you my anointed word. That's Christ, the anointed word. And what shall I do with Jesus called the Christ? Brother Branham says... He's on your hands. You know what I'm talking about. Not only you, but on this tape, He's on your hands. What are you going to do with Him? This Jesus called the Christ. Christ is the anointed Word. What are you going to do with it? It's the message of the hour. That day is here, thoroughly proved by the Bible and by God. But what are you going to do with it? Are you going to dodge the issue now? How are you going to get by with it? He's on your hands. Laying that seed within you, He's come for a purpose to each and every one of us to say, I have called you for a purpose. There was Moses now out in the wilderness at the burning bush. God says, Moses, Moses, now, Moses, what are you going to do? You're Moses. Now, bride of Jesus Christ, what are you going to do? I sent you my message. All that the church world has ever desired, I've sent it. I've vindicated it by a prophet. I've shown that it's the truth. I've backed him up 100%. I've identified myself in his ministry. 
I wasn't pointing to a perfect man. I was pointing to my word that was coming through an imperfect man. I was, I chose an individual that was imperfect because no flesh will glory in my presence. And now I've come to you with my anointed word, the anointed word, the Messiah of the hour, Jesus Christ. Now what are you going to do with it? Hallelujah. Now, we're here this morning as the musicians come. In you is a seed. In you is a, a part of the eternal. There's something in you that cannot perish. Because God said, I won't allow it to perish. It doesn't matter what... It doesn't matter what the devil has in store. It doesn't matter how weak your flesh is. Are you hearing me? Well, I can't overcome this, Brother Tim. That's got nothing to do with it. It's not you overcoming. It's Him overcoming in you. Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. Now, if there's a part of God that's eternal, and I'm standing here or I'm sitting here this morning and I'm saying, what will I do with this anointed Word? I would have to say, Lord, anoint me with Your anointed Word. I'd have to say, I'm saying it in all quietness, because I don't want to move you by emotion. But I'm saying it sincerely. You've got troubles. There's some of you, and I'm not trying to put anybody down, and, and I guess I've done the very thing that I don't like to do. And that is to try and say, somebody needs to get right. And I'll just put that on myself. I need to get closer to God. I need more of God. But how many would say this morning, Lord, anoint me with your word? How many would just stand together and just say, Lord, I'm here. And You know what? You can all stand. It doesn't matter whether you believe this or not. But as we stand together, how many would stand in faith and say, Lord, I'm here and your word is here. And you have sent this word of the hour, and I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want it to pass me by. It's just some kind of, oh, well, I'll fast and pray. No, it's not fasting and praying. Though you can do that, there's nothing wrong with that. It's more than that. Let the anointed word come into your life until you're so separated from the shallow things of Laodicea that would anoint your flesh and brought up higher into the presence of God. How many would raise their hand and say, Lord, I want to stand in your presence. I want you to anoint me with your word. I want you to make me your own. You can play, uh, set your wings in the winds of faith. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've ended this service in kind of a different way. Not so much of a crescendo as a solemn reckoning, O God. Lord, my heart is burdened for the church.
that we realize not that not that we, it's not a preacher saying do's and don'ts, Lord. That's not it. But Lord, there's an anointing that comes to anoint every individual life that will not compete with the anointing of the world. Oh Lord, take the anointing of the world off of our lives. Take Laodicea away from us, oh God. Let everything be under the blood of Jesus Christ. Until, Lord, all things are laid before Your throne and we can stand in Your presence, the presence of the anointed Word, and say, anoint me, O God. Make me what You want me to be. Let Your Word become alive in me. Lord, as I take this anointed message of the hour and embrace it in my life, might be listening to a tape or a message, as it were. It might be reading. It might be just devouring the Scriptures. It might be just laying in Your presence. Whatever it might be, O Lord, but come and anoint me, O Lord. And take me to the place that You want me to be. Father, You see the hands that are raised. You see the lives that are consecrating themselves afresh to You this morning. And the song is playing, Set Your Wings on the Winds of Faith. Teach us, Lord, how to set our wings in that updraft of faith this morning. As your anointing is here to quicken it, oh God. Oh Lord, when you walked into a room, when you walked into a funeral, the dead were raised. Lord, when you were gathered and they lowered the people down on the ropes, Lord, into that atmosphere, the dead took up their bed and walked away, Lord. Father, wherever you went, when you walked here in flesh, it was such a powerful anointing. It quickened lives and changed and transformed people. But it wasn't to stop there. It was to take them to a place. I'll meet you in the upper room. I'll come unto you. I'll be with you. I'll be in you. I'll fill you. Lord, fill us this morning, we pray. We lift our voices unto you, O God. And say, Lord, we give our lives afresh unto you, Father. If anything in our life is displeasing to you, if anything in us, Lord, is, is wronging you, oh God, take it out of our lives. Take it away, oh God. Don't let us go the way of the world. Don't let us be displeasing to you, Father. But let your, the anointing of your sweet dove be pleased to dwell in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Set your, set your wings to the winds of
determined to do that this morning? I'm determined. Every time I get into the Word of God, something renews within me. Push me further, Lord. Push me further. Let me be closer to You than ever before. I want to, I want to experience more of Him. How many want to experience more of God? There's greater experiences with God than anything this world has to offer. And I guess when we, we talk about worldly enticements, I realize we maybe speak mostly of young people and they're coming up to camp and, and all of that, but to make it real to them, to make it real to every individual, only God can do that. As a father, I'd love to, I love that I could tell my children, don't ever do that, and they would never do that. I got a one year old at home. He still hasn't learned yet what the meaning of no is. It's human nature. I want to do what I want to do. We can only do so much as parents. We can do only do so much as preachers. But God can do anything. And I believe He's more than able to take you to levels of experience with Him that are greater than you've ever known before. You believe that? How many will accept that this morning? Amen. Let's sing that song that I love, My Jesus, My Savior. Lord, there is none like you. Shout to the Lord. My Jesus. Let's just worship Him before we close. Lord, there is none
love him? Brother Dan Diaz, come and dismiss us with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, when you just have that anointing come down, Lord Jesus, and be a part of each and every one of our lives, Lord God, and bless us this week. Just um, help we all just uh, do your will in your name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Shake one another's hands as you go. The service is dismissed. May the Lord be very near and very real to you this week. God bless you.